What's up, guys, and welcome back to another brand new episode of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Taylor, and we are on season three, episode 28. There's only one more episode of the year and the season left to go. I can't believe it. This year has been crazy, but I want to thank you guys so, so much for sticking with me and listening to uh, the last episode as well. I'm trying my best to get you guys this episode before the end of the week. I just needed a little bit more time with Scissor's album, but I didn't want to give you guys the review next week. It's the holidays, all that. And I also wanted to make sure that I separated this episode from the wrap-up episode because you know those run long. I'm already starting to put together that episode for you guys, so I can't wait for you to hear it. But for now, I'm going to focus on diving into this episode. So let's get started. So I couldn't start this episode any other way than talking about SZA's new album, SOS, because let's be real, it's the biggest thing in music right now. It's all we're listening to really right now. It's all we're really talking about right now. And, you know, we're practically at the end of the year. Usually around this time, there's not much of anything really going on. It's, you know, every now and then we'll get a big artist like SZA who will kind of finish out the year for their label. But for the most part, December's kind of touch and go after like the first two weeks. But SZA finally dropped the album after five years. And before I get into like my carefully constructed review, I just want to fan out for a moment and say that I absolutely love this album. It was like I said on Twitter, I said this when I was talking about the album to other people. SOS is incredible for someone who's been gone for five years. I think we've seen a lot of artists who have kind of taken a long break, come back and kind of not know how to operate. But with SZA, she wasn't completely gone. Like, we'd get singles, we'd get her on features. She was still, you know, she still had a presence. Um, She was on one of the biggest songs in recent years, Doja Cat's um, Kiss Me More, which she won a fucking Grammy for. So SZA has still had a presence. Um, So for her to come back after five years with a very long album, mind you, 23 songs, for her to come back and still put out a relevant and engaging body of work is incredible. So, you know, my sister and I, my sister's a huge fan, shout out to my sis. We were talking about our favorite songs and we had both kind of agreed, like, you know, it's one of those albums where you don't really, like you have songs that you really like, but there are so many, it's just such a good body of work that you return to the album time and time again. And you're like, well, maybe this one's my favorite, maybe this one. It's like, you don't really have a true, true favorite because the album is just put together so well. And it's meant to just be enjoyed in full. It's not, you know, when you put together 23, 24, you know, song albums, it's so easy to cherry pick like 10 to 15 songs that you like and maybe the rest are filler. Um, And I'm going to get into all of that too. But with this album was like well put together. The track list was, you know, well chosen. So, but let's, let's get into the review. Let's get into some of my notes here. So SOS is a beautifully haunting album about isolation, insecurity, rejection, and imperfection. Now, these are themes that have always been prominent in SZA's music. It it was no different than on Control. This is just five years later. This album is also honest and open. Again, this isn't a new idea for SZA. She's always kind of been very one in tune with her emotions and very just, not just in tune with her emotions, but just open about things that have gone on in her past and her, you know, personal life, whether that be relation, romantic relationships or just relationships with other people, you know, um, that really hasn't changed much. I will say that on SOS, she 
is a, a lot more outspoken, a little bit more brash and harsh than she was on Control. Control was kind of like the still scared 20-something-year-old who's still trying to figure out the world. And on SOS, she's, you know, since I think it's 33 now, she's been in the industry long enough to know what's what. You know, she's experienced a little bit more life. So there is um, some varying um, differences between these two albums, despite their themes being very, very similar. What I also appreciated about SOS was that there was an attempt to try new things without her really forcing it. So songs like Ghost in the Machine that lean more into like a alternative, like indie kind of bag. It's got, it's featuring, ooh, what's her name again? Uh, Phoebe Bridgers. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, so that to me is like a standout from the album. Smoking on my X-Pack I think was like a moment for everybody who listened to the album because you just never expected SZA to rap. You know, it's not something that she really does. And the producer who produced that, shout out to Jay Versace, he actually got his start as a comedian on Vine. And, you know, lately we've all been talking about how crazy it, it's been to watch his growth to come from, you know, being a content creator on Vine and, you know, on Twitter to now transition into being a producer and a good one at that. He's got producing credits on West Side Gun's album. He's got, um, there, there was another artist too, um, that I knew he produced for, but it's slipping my mind now. And now he's got, I think, Smoking on My X-Pack. I think that's the only song he produced. And it has his signature on it. Jay Versace loves samples and he loves, you know, music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So Smoking on My X-Pack does have a sample and it's slipping my mind right now. But that was a moment. I knew it was going to be a crazy record. I said this, you know, last week, you know, from the title alone. And so sometimes you know from a title when a song is going to be good or it's going to be like a moment on the album and SZA flowed all through that bitch like she was spitting. That and the intro SOS, she's rapping on there too. And what I liked about the intro SOS is, you know, I think what a good intro does is that it gives, it's, it's, it's called an intro for a reason, you're introducing the album. So your intro is definitely going to set the tone. If you have a bad intro... I'm a little I'm a little wary about the rest of the album and SOS kind of sets that tone. And I was listening to the album or at least a little bit of the album because it wasn't that far of a drive. I was listening to it a little bit in the car earlier today and there was a line on the intro that really caught my attention. I don't remember it verbatim right now off the top of my head, but it was along the lines of, you know, SOS is not a warning. I mean, yeah, she said SOS is not a warning. And obviously from the album cover and just the title alone, you assume like SOS, I need help. And when I received that line, I really thought about it in context with the rest of the album and even the way that she um, described her album cover that it's not, it, it's purposeful isolation. It's not, I need help or, you know, I want someone to save me, it's I want to be by myself because what her album cover does is it recreates this picture of Princess Diana and Tizza said that she liked how isolated she looked in that moment, especially because we know how she died, we knew what she went through with the paparazzi and the media and being a celebrity, they deal with a lot of that bullshit too and you know, Anybody that's familiar enough with SZA and like what she talks about in interviews and just what she says on social media, you know that she, I think she struggles with social anxiety. She doesn't like being around a whole bunch of people. Like she doesn't really enjoy, I think, being a celebrity. So this album title and that album cover really does reflect it now that she is much bigger today than she was when she dropped Control, which I think plays a lot into, you know, the themes on this album as well. 
Something else I really enjoyed on this album is like discovering new interpolations that she does. Like there are several, the ones, and there are other ones too that, you know, as I was on Genius reading the lyrics, I wasn't as familiar with those songs, but she does this a lot through this album. Like the backbone of SOS in a lot of ways are her influences from different artists that she listens to, different songs that she likes. Some of the ones I picked up on that I thought were fire was first of all, starting with SOS, Listen by Beyonce from the Dreamgirls soundtrack. She kind of, towards the end of the song, she interpolates, I've, and I've tried and tried to say what's on my mind. And when I heard that part, I'm like, that's actually really fitting for her. Like a lot of these interpolations, they're not random. They're just not using them for the sake of using them. They do make sense with who SZA is as an artist in terms of the themes that she often talks about, which is very fitting. So I like that one. She uh, interpolates Count Me Out um, on Blinds from Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers album. She interpolates Aaliyah's I Don't Wanna on Love Language, and that's one of my favorite Aaliyah songs. It's, to me, one of the best R&B songs. And when I saw Love Language and I looked at the writing credits, I saw Babyface, I saw Ty Dolla Sign. I, no, no, not Babyface. On Love Language, it's Ty Dolla Sign, and it's Pharrell and Chad Hugo, so I assume that there's a sample there. But when I saw that and I knew that my sister liked it, I was like, oh, this might be a special track. And I really liked it. And I caught that Aaliyah interpolation, I think, on my third listen. And I was like, I don't know how I missed this. But that was dope, too. And like I said, there are several other interpolations that I'm not going to list all of them. But those were the ones that stuck out the most to me and came to mind first. Now, like I said before, the themes and topics are similar on SOS as they were on Control. But I do see some growth in these themes. Like I said, too, she's always been honest, but I feel like this album has a lot more accountability. She talks about her insecurities and admits that to correct them, she's got work done on her body. It's on, I think, SOS where she mentions that, you know, this ass looks natural, it's not, you know, and, you know, I've, I've heard your comments I could do without them. You know, she has songs like Normal Girl and Garden Say It Like That, where she's talking about her insecurities, about her facial features, and about her body. And so now, fast forward five years later, it's, yeah, I had those insecurities, I got work done. Now I feel better, I look better, I don't give a fuck what you think, she owns it. And like I said, there is a, there's a shift in tone on this album compared to Control. Elsewhere on the album, specifically on F2F, she talks about fucking somebody else to get the attention of her ex that she misses. You know, she's very open with her imperfections, while on Control she was also kind of just scratching the surface with them and just kind of getting comfortable enough to talk about them. Like I said before, I haven't listened to SZA before Control. I didn't listen to her mixtapes that she was doing. So I'm sure there's a lot of the same topics on those earlier ones too. But like I said, it's different on this album. And I saw someone repost a picture of SZA and Future together recently. I don't know if it was at her album party or some other event. And someone was like, you know, it would be super fitting for SZA and Future to get together because they both kind of do the toxic thing. And I thought about it and I was like, I didn't really view SZA as toxic on Control, but on SOS, you, you do get a sense of that. It's not like, I'm not one for like the toxic shit. But it's more subtle, and I think I can like, I can stand it better when it is more subtle and it's not just for the sake of, oh, you know, being toxic is in. Because sometimes we just exhibit, you know, negative behaviors, we exhibit toxic, you know, behaviors and patterns and habits. It's a part of being human being. And I think it's not as 
it's not as controversial or as like tired as it is with Future and even some of the songs on Division's album because it, it's just about a flawed human being. And, and F2F, you know, even though what she's doing is toxic, you just hear it as this is a flawed human being with imperfections. Like by the time you get to that song, she's told you about all her flaws and her insecurities on, on the first half of the album. So by the time you get to F2F, you're like, of course she's doing something like that. Duh. I describe her debut album as for late teens and, you know, people in their early to mid-twenties and, you know, but now that Tiz is in her 30s, SOS reflects these same issues, but now as a slightly older woman. I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, by the time you get to your 30s, you shouldn't be doing the same shit that you are doing in your 20s. But I don't know if it's because I'm in my mid-20s now and because I have friends that are in their late 20s or, or, or close to 30. I'm starting to realize that you don't always have your shit figured out by the time you're in your 30s, you know? I think now these days, and it could just be a generational thing or, you know, the times that we live in, or the fact that the pandemic has stolen so much time from, from us, I feel like your 30s are like a chance, like a, is, is like part two to your 20s. It's your chance of, okay, I did all of this, all of these things in my 20s, I fucked all this up, but now in my 30s, I've kind of hopefully learned from some of those mistakes and now I'm trying to grow. And then by the time you're in your 40s, you're more settled. So I think I, that's how I'd control, I, that's how I'd, I'd, I'd compare control and SOS to each other. Like I said before, and this is kind of why, like when I start off the review, just before kind of referencing my notes, I end up saying what I've already said. But it feels like she finally found her voice on this album. The venom that she spits on songs like Smoking on My X Pack and Forgiveless, you know, really highlights this. You know, she has lines like, quote, I don't care about consequences. I want my lick back. I don't mind who's watching. Get to pushing your wig back. I don't burn bridges. Love my enemies. Centerpiece. Call that bitch my kid. She ain't no kin to me. And another line where she says, quote, I got your favorite rapper blocked. I heard the dick was whack. Your favorite athlete screaming, text me back. So it's like now she's flexing a little bit like, you know, I've been gone for five years. There have been people that have come after me trying to run with my sound, but they're not quite me. Like when we talk about the current, you know, R&B singers, I always say that we're kind of in a space again where they're all doing their own thing. They don't sound like each other. SZA sounds like herself. No one no one is intentionally trying to sound like her, and if they are, they're not lasting. Kehlani has their own sound. Her has her own sound. Ari Lennox has her own sound. Summer Walker, Ella, all, all I, I, the list can go on. They all represent different spaces and subgenres of the music. And, you know, it was kind of cool to hear her, like, talk her shit because, like I said, it's impressive for someone who is, I won't say a new artist anymore, but she's not a veteran. And she took a five-year break after, you know, making a modern classic to come back out with another album that, okay, it may not be better than Control, but it is really fucking good. So I think she's recognizing that and she's in that space where she's like, you know what, I, I deserve to kind of, you know, pop my shit off a little bit. I also love how she references different films throughout the album from Kill Bill to Gone Girl. And it's very intentional because both of the main female characters in these movies are kind of volatile and violent and temperamental you know so it is interesting that she chose those characters to reflect you know pieces of herself in this album 
And I do like that within the songs themselves, too. Like, she really um, embodies what the main points and, and themes are from those films and connects them to the themes that she already has on this album. Oh, and back to uh, her interpolation throughout the album, I added some other songs on, I added some other interpolations on here too in my notes. So she also, and I forgot, I can't believe I forgot to mention it when I was talking about the song, but on Smoking on My X-Pack, she references Family Ties by Baby Keem and Kendrick because, you know, Kendrick ends his verse by saying, I'm smoking on your top fives, which is something that now people have started running with. Um, so that was kind of like a, a, a cool flip there. And then there is a interpolation of Full Moon by Brandy on Seek and Destroy, which is a song I really, really like um, from that album too. And, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. I also want to point out that it seems that Kendrick's Mr. Morale album and Baby Keem's The Melodic Blue are kind of a clear influence on this album. You know, some of the similarities that the three albums share are going through like like maybe kind of like a, a dark period in your life and isolating yourself and working on healing and, and, and growing before kind of coming back out and, and speaking on your experience. Mr. Morale was definitely that album from Kendrick and you can definitely tell that SZA really sat and related to that album and really listened to it and kind of put her own spin on some of those um, themes. I'm not gonna say that she ripped off his album because that's not the case. It's just you can tell that this album influenced her and, and she's been very vocal about listening to certain albums this year and going back and working in reworking SOS because I think she said that with Beyonce when she put out Renaissance she went back and she said you know I listened to Renaissance and it made me think about how you know monotonous my album is like it, it needs something more it needs more life and I think that's why we got songs like F2F and we got songs like Ghost in the Machine and and smoke it on my X-Pack where she's really trying new things. And I think she kind of said a, something similar when Lizzo dropped her album special. And funny enough, Lizzo does have a writing credit on F2F. So she wasn't afraid to kind of be inspired by other people, but I definitely hear a clear influence from the Melodic Blue and Mr. Morale, both in you know the production and even some of the melodic styles that she, ch she chose um, to go with on this album. So I thought it was interesting to note. I don't know if anybody else picked up on that. And so referencing what I said earlier about how impressive it was that she has a 23 song album that really has no skips. And even though there are songs that may not be your overall favorite, they're not horrible records. And when you're listening to the album in full, you don't really skip them because each song, you know, fits on the album. It sounds like it deserves to be there. I really can't say there are any fillers on this album. They all belong, even if certain songs aren't my absolute favorite. Special is one of those tracks where I really don't go back to outside of listening to the album. Like I said, it's not a bad song, but I do feel like she has better versions of it on Control, like songs like Normal Girl and Awkward. I love the production and hook on another song on this album, Seek and Destroy. It's very melodic, but still true to who SZA is as an artist. It's a perfect blend of R&B stacked vocals. I kind of hear, you know, the Brandy influence, so that's why when I checked the credits, I wasn't fully surprised to see that she had interpolated a song by Brandy because you can hear that influence clear as day. Um, also adding on the melodic flow that's popular on Seek and Destroy as well. Again, that's where I kind of heard the Baby Keem influence a little bit, Travis Scott. And it's also backed by alternative production. So you have these three different, you know, characteristics from different genres and she's putting them together and they really work. 
SOS doesn't have a consistent theme production-wise. It's more of a collection of songs, but the actual theme and the lyrics and storytelling connects the song so well that it really doesn't matter. At least it doesn't to me. Control had a specific theme sound-wise, but on SOS, she steps out of, outside of her comfort zone more, which I love. Another song I enjoyed on this album is Open Arms. I don't think she should have put Travis Scott on the song. I know he does background vocals on another song. I think it's low. Um, I think this song would have been much better without him on it. The other features throughout the album make sense, but not really this one. He doesn't really add much to it. I don't think he's a great fit, but it's still a good song. My top tracks from SOS are Snooze, Gone Girl, Nobody Gets Me, Kill Bill, and F2F. But I want to give a couple of honorable mentions because it really was hard selecting a top five. Ghost in the Machine, Seek and Destroy, Far and Blind. I loved Blind. I talked about it, I think, last week. It, it's a really good song. So starting off with Snooze, I think this one might be my favorite off of the album. I instantly fell in love with it. The moment I saw Babyface and Leon Thomas on the credits, I knew she was going to give me like a solid R&B cut and she more than delivered. It's I, So far when I'm looking at people's favorites, I don't see Snooze on there a whole lot. I know Snooze isn't one of my sister's favorites, but I feel like when it comes to R&B music, there's always a particular song that I really like and usually those are kind of like the underrated ones. It's a feel-good love song, something we don't get too often from her, and it's nice to hear this side of her. I love how smooth and mellow the production is, too, and I love her vocals on this. My favorite lines are, quote, I can't lose when I'm with you. How can I snooze and miss the moment? You're just too important. And also, quote, nasty habits take a hold when you're not here. Ain't a home when you're not here. Next is Gone Girl, which is an absolute fan favorite. What makes this so good is the songwriting. Like I've said before, she's a top tier songwriter and Gone Girl is a great example of this. What also makes the song so good is the production. It's an acoustic track that gets more lively and cinematic towards the end. It's just a gradual buildup. The acoustics of the production allow Sizz's voice to take front stage and the lyrics to truly be heard. I know that a knock that she often gets is her pronunciation, but you can this, the way this beat is structured, you really can hear her clearly. I love that, again, I know I mentioned this before, but I love that the themes on this song reflect the actual film. You know, top themes like abandonment, loneliness, and manipulation. My favorite lines from this song are, quote, I need more space and security. I need less voices, just you and me. I need your touch, not your scrutiny. Squeezing too tight, boy, you're losing me. Next up is Nobody Gets Me. This is a beautifully haunting track where SZA takes accountability for a failed relationship, specifically a failed engagement. Backed by a lone acoustic guitar, her vocals sound gorgeous and angelic. It's the tenderness of her voice that adds onto the sadness of the song, I think. It's highly cinematic, which fits in with some of the tr other tracks on the album. I love a song that sounds like it belongs in a movie, and this definitely sounds like it could be on a soundtrack. I won't be surprised if people start including this song in their edits, like, on their fan edits for like shoes, I mean not shoes, <laughs> shows and media that they enjoy. I'm pretty sure this song is gonna start getting added to those. My favorite lines are quote, how am I supposed to tell you I don't wanna see you with anyone but me? Nobody gets me like you. How am I supposed to let you go? Only like myself when I'm with you. The second to last song on my list is Kill Bill. The production mixes the melodies we love from R&B and hip hop back drums that create a killer villainous theme song that's on par with the actual film itself. SZA was spitting on this, even though she was singing. We've heard other women in R&B make similar songs, kind of like 
on Summer Walker's debut album. She had a song with Janae Ayuko called I'll Kill You. And I think a lot of people were expecting like this toxic, you know, female anthem and it kind of fell short. But this song doesn't. And I think it's because it really suits the themes, the other themes on her album. So it makes sense. Nonetheless, she skates and Kill Bill is a standout. My favorite lines are, quote, I did it all for love. I did it all on no no drugs. I did all of this sober. I did it all for us. And also, quote, I'm so much sure. I got me a therapist to tell me there's other men. I don't want none. I just want you. If I can't have you, no one will. And I tweeted this, but like if one of my exes wrote a song like this about me, I would make sure my doors are locked super tight. My blinds are closed. I changed my number. You're blocked on, on everything, including your email. Like this shit is just crazy, but it's a good ass song. The last song on my list is F2F, which is a song I feel like I've talked about a lot already. But this is SZA's journey into rock with some country influence, and she pulls it off. It's a fa- it's a fan favorite for a good reason. Lizzo, like I said, has writing credits on this, and she's another strong writer herself, so you just can't lose. I wouldn't be surprised if Lizzo convinced her to try her hand at the style of music, because Lizzo herself is very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? She is well-rounded and special, really showcases that so I wouldn't be surprised if she kind of gave SZA the push that she needed. The hook is very much influenced by rock, the way it's structured and written. I love the slow build up with the acoustic guitars into something bigger and more dramatic with the electric guitar and drums kicking in. My favorite lines are quote, get a rise out of watching you fall, get a kick out of missing your call. I hate me enough for the two of us, hate that I can't let go of you enough. This is why I fuck him because I miss you. To wrap up my thoughts about this album overall, I would say after a five-year wait, SOS delivers and then some. Simple as that. I give this a five out of five, and I am glad that she dropped this album with enough time for me to kind of put my list together and include it. Spoiler alert, it's definitely going to be on there somewhere, somewhere because it's just, I don't see how you could leave SOS out of it. It doesn't matter how late the album came out in the year, it's definitely a standout for sure. So that concludes my thoughts on SOS. Let me know what you think too when I you know, finally drop the episode on social media. Get at me. Let me know if you agreed with my review, if you hated the album. I know there are some people that, you know, they weren't too crazy about SOS. So let me know why and, and what you think could have been better and, and why you think control is better. I'm, I'm open ears. So moving on from SZA on to some, you know, music topics, other music topics at least. And I want to start off with uh, Janet Jackson's tour announcement. Now, she was supposed to go on tour in 2020. And I was trying to get tickets, you know, for my mom's birthday because Janet's one of her favorite artists and she's never seen her in concert. And so I was like, you know, how cool would it be, you know, now that I'm really, really into her music as well, like my mom and I going and just having a good time. She was going to be in New York in July, so it was perfect. And then the pandemic happened and I never got a chance to really... um I don't think they ever really went up for pre-sale either. The pandemic shut everything down. So when I saw that she said that she had an announcement, I was like, okay, it's one of two things. One, a tour, or two, she's got new music. And now that everybody is touring next year, I can already tell that it's going to be a complete shit show when it comes to dealing with these concert venues and these ticket websites. And just, you know, everybody is so excited to finally be outside and tour like normal and enjoy concerts that tickets are going to be insane. We already know what's going on with Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster and all that bullshit. Uh, SZA sold out instantly. So I am extremely nervous for when Beyonce goes on tour and Brianna goes on tour because these are 
big, big artists. And they've been gone for a while and they haven't toured for a while. And I feel like it's going to be a shit show. And a part of me is like, should I even bother trying to get Beyonce tickets? Like, of course I'm going to do it because my best friend and I really want to go. But I feel like it's going to be some bullshit. Um, I think she ended up getting tickets somehow to see Taylor Swift. And I think how she was able to do it was she picked a concert venue that was still kind of within travel. Like it made sense. It, It was within traveling distance but it wasn't a state or a venue that's super super popular where it's going to sell out like madison square garden or metlife stadium and and, you know venues in california where like everybody like those those are huge cities and, and huge you know hugely populated states so i am extremely nervous for you know this upcoming tour season but i am trying to see as many concerts as i can to make up for the fact that i didn't see a whole lot i got to see kendrick lamar um with my dad this year and he was incredible so i I can say that at least i got one one concert in me this year but you know next year i was trying to go crazy and see you know everybody and their mom (laughs) on tour but you know it's it's looking like it's going to be crazy but i'm hoping that I can get tickets to see Janet Jackson. I already hit up my mom and was like, you know, we're outside for this Janet tour. Like, we're going. Like, we're going to try and, and, and our best to get tickets. I think um, the date where Janet's in New York is like, it falls on a Tuesday. And then the day when she's in New Jersey, it falls on a Tuesday. So hopefully she adds more dates and we can make it work. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Of course, along with the tour announcement, she announced new music. Which, again, she was supposed to drop an album in 2020. I think it was called Black Diamond. I don't know if it's going to still be called Black Diamond. A lot has changed. It's, it's been almost three years. But I am looking forward to hearing new music from Janet. I think she, in 2018, she had a little good momentum going. She had a song with Daddy Yankee that I enjoyed. So it'll be interesting to hear what a Janet Jackson, Terry Lewis, and Jimmy Jam you know, body of work sounds like in 2023. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Speaking of announcements, the Jonas Brothers also announced new tour dates in Vegas because I do think they have a Vegas residency. And I saw a lot of fans frustrated, like, you know, we're sick of tour dates because they they were pretty, like, they didn't, they were one of the, the first few artists to really, like, start touring again. Like, they didn't really take too much time. You know, as soon as they were kind of able to go outside again, they were on tour. So they've been on tour for the past two years. And I remember, again, before the pandemic hit, Nick Jonas had said, you know, we're, we're finishing up our new album. They put out one single, I think, I didn't really care for. It's called What a Man Gotta Do. And it seemed like they were trying to recreate the moment that they had on Sucker by including their wives. It didn't really work. The song wasn't that great. But I was looking forward to a new album. And then, you know, I understood the pandemic's a thing. I think Joe Jonas had a kid. You know, Nick Jonas ended up having a kid. I think Joe ended up having another kid. So I understood that music wasn't like the focus for them. And then again, they were on tour and then Nick Jonas put out his album. So I was like kind of, I was content with that because I enjoyed his album and I really wanted a solo Nick album. So I was cool. And I think this was 2021 with no Jonas Brothers album because I'm like, all right, we got this Nick album. That's cool. I think Joe Jonas was doing some DNCE stuff again. Um, But now that they've announced these new dates, I'm wondering, I'm like, so when are we going to get a new Jonas Brothers album? And I think it's crazy that in 2022, Two, almost 2023 I still look forward to getting new music from the Jonas Brothers and I was listening to my my Jonas Brothers playlist and I was listening to my Bieber playlist I was really like feeling nostalgic I think I let my Disney playlist run 
And it's crazy to me that some of the artists that I've been listening to since I was eight, nine, ten years old is still making music that I enjoy. Like when the Jonas Brothers came out with Happiness Begins, you know, outside of Sucker, it was like, okay, like the Jonas Brothers, when they were making music, when they were popular in their prime, the music landscape was very, very different. Like the sound they were making doesn't exist anymore. That pop rock, I wouldn't count, I wouldn't consider them pop punk, but they were like a pop rock band. And that sound really isn't in anymore. Like when they were doing it, you know, Miley Cyrus was doing it as Hannah Montana, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, but that sound really isn't in anymore. And now it's kind of pop punk, you know? And so I'm like, in 2019, how is a Jonas Brothers album gonna sound? Like, you know, now they're older too. And I think they pulled it off. I think they had a good mix of like, you know, some of the pop music that was relevant there. And, you know, some of the influence from Joe's band, DNCE. So I think they did a good job. Uh, but it's just wild to me that, you know, I loved them so much back then in the early 2000s. And I'm still kind of like, all right, when's the new Jonas Brothers album came out? Like for me, they're still relevant. I can't speak for anybody else. But I'm hoping now with these new dates, you know, that they are considering putting out new music sometime in next year, even if it's not like a full album, maybe an EP, maybe a couple of songs, maybe some singles. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll, we'll end up finding out what's in the cards for them. So moving on from the Jonas Brothers, a lot of cancellations and renewals have been announced now. Sex Lies of College Girls, which has been on my list for a couple of years now, they got renewed for season three. And I think a lot of us are wary about shows on HBO Max right now because of this merger and a lot of the bullshit that they've been doing with shows, renewing them and then reversing the renewal. I would like to think that Sex of College Girls is pretty safe because it is popular. You know, Mindy Kaling, that's her show. She's not a slouch. So I am hoping that the show is safe because I hear such good things about it and I really do want to start the show. I, I may, once I'm finished with Power, I may go in and, and watch that show because, you know, I, I hear such, such good things about it. My friends love it. I see a lot of people online love it. Um, but among some of these cancellations is the Step Up series getting canceled. And I'm not going to lie... I got a little sick satisfaction at the fact that they got canceled because I don't like the way they handled Naya's death and, you know, the hand handling her character. Um, I think that Naya Rivera definitely deserved the respect enough for the show creators, who, mind you, the show creator, one of them at least, she's known since Glee. Like, she did that role, I think, as a favor. He asked her to do it. She said yes. I think what they should have done was kill off her character or write her character out of the show in some way. Instead of that, they decided to recast her character with Christina Milian. And I feel like when someone passes and they were on a show, they should be honored. When you recast the character, you, there's no way of honoring them. You're kind of just ignoring the obvious. And a lot of people were like, I'm not watching this show. Because a lot of the people that were watching that show were watching it for Naya. Like, those were a lot of Glee fans, a lot of Naya's fans. I only wasn't watching it because it was originally on YouTube Red. But when they announced that it was moving to Stars, I was like, well, it'll start airing on Stars. I'm going to catch up on it. And then she died. And I was like, well, there's no point now because she's off of the show. Well, apparently a lot of people felt the same way because it's been canceled. And again, I feel like that's kind of their karma because they should have handled the show. They should have handled that decision a lot better. 
from what I know of what happens with her character in season two, there was a way for them to write her out and it would have made sense. Even if they didn't feel comfortable killing her off because I always think about, you know, the Glee tribute episode to Cory Monteith and how hard that was for the cast to, you know, kill off a character. These Now as these characters, you have to grieve this character, but in real life, you're still grieving your friend who's gone. So even if they didn't kill off her character on Step Up, they, they easily could have written her out and had Christina Milian come in and play a different character. That's just my opinion. And, you know, I think the show suffered, you know, I think it ended up getting canceled because she's gone and a lot of people were watching the show for her. But speaking of Naya and Glee, the trailer to this Glee documentary that Discovery is doing came out. And imagine my shock when I find out what this documentary is really about. And when news broke, and I talked about this on the podcast, the way the documentary was described was as like, oh, we're just going through the behind the scenes drama of what happened on the show. And a lot of us were hyped because we only know bits and pieces and like surface level shit of a lot of the drama that went on behind the set. I think we all kind of wanted a documentary like that. Like, let's just expose the shit. But when the documentary trailer came out, it was not really about that. It was them really profiting off of Naya and Corey's deaths and, you know, running with that Glee curse bullshit. And why I think it's kind of, why I think it's not kind of, why it's very disrespectful is you, these people tragically died. You know, Naya died saving her son. And Corey died after struggling with the addiction all his life. To use their deaths to market, promote, and make money off of for a documentary is bullshit to me. You know, the as a fan aside, they have living family members that have to deal with that that have to see that poster of their faces. They're the poster of this. And to put them alongside a pedophile who killed himself because he didn't want to take accountability for his crimes and his actions and to get out of jail is sickening to me. So when I saw, I didn't watch the trailer because I just read the article and I just was like, I'm not, I'm not watching this shit. I'm not giving them a view. I'm not doing that. I think it's very disrespectful. And I think about it as if if it was one of my friends or loved ones who tragically passed and they were famous and they were a part of this big, you know, show, to find out that someone is doing a documentary on that, diving deep and and, and now I have to relive one of the worst moments of my life again, I think is gross. None of the Glee cast are involved. N nobody who's like important in that show is really involved. Not a whole lot of their family members are involved. I did read that apparently Naya's father is in this documentary, but her mother is not involved. Her sister is not in it. Her brother's not in it. None of Corey's family is in it. All of the Glee cast members, I think that were approached about doing this said no. So I think a lot of this documentary are like, maybe like extras on set, crew members, you know, I don't think any of the main cast is involved. I think for a lot of them, this show has brought a lot of unhappy memories, a lot of unhappy moments, triggers. And again, like they're still grieving these deaths. So I definitely think it's nasty, nasty work what Discovery is doing for this documentary and I won't be watching it. I have a couple of friends that are huge fans of the show that do want to watch it because they're just curious to see what's being said. I think it'll just annoy me and so I'm just not going to put myself through that but it's unfortunate because I really just wanted some tea like I wanted some of the like onset drama that happened like tell me about the bullshit Leah Michelle was doing and like which cast members were beefing with each other like 
that's the kind of shit that I was really looking forward to from a documentary. Not what they're doing. So I do hope they continue to get dragged for that shit because it's whack as fuck. But moving on from that and on to whatever the fuck is going on at DC. It's a fucking mess over there right now. So news broke a couple of days ago, maybe earlier this week at this point, that Wonder Woman 3 has been shelved. Now, the first film was really good. The second film was horrible. And it didn't help that it came out in the pandemic where they were doing the simultaneous, putting it on a streaming service and having it in the movie theaters. But it was garbage. But I felt like, okay, they put out a good film. They put out a bad one. I think that they deserve another chance to make it right. And so... When I read that it had been shelved, I shouldn't have been super surprised because I know DC is going through a major shift in leadership. James Gunn is now running the show over there. They're overhauling a lot of things. They're changing and scrapping a lot of things. Wonder Woman 3 was one of the first to be announced to go. Now the most recent one is that soup that Henry Cavill is no longer playing Superman officially, which is crazy because, you know, they put him in Black Adam that was like the selling point of that movie. Ooh, Superman is back. Henry Cavill is back as Superman. You know, we're going to start doing, you know, Man of Steel 2 after fans have been begging for years. I think the first Man of Steel movie came out in, what, 2013, 2014? It's been years. It's been almost a decade. And he left his um, role as the Witcher from Netflix to go and be Superman again. He was happy, I think, to put back on the cape just for them to be like, yeah, we're running with like um, a younger Superman. And I feel like this is something that they should have really communicated before putting him in Black Adam. I really think they should have sat and said, you know what, we're going through all these changes at DC. Why don't we hold off putting him in Black Adam, even if it was already shot? Let's maybe cut it from the movie and, and, and see if we really, really want to bring him back as Superman. Where, where do we really want to see Superman? Because it's just a waste of time for everybody. They're not planning on making another Black Adam film, which I'm not overly surprised about. I didn't hear good things about it. I hear it's coming to HBO Max soon. I might watch it just for the hell of it, just to see what it's about. But I definitely think that DC is a fucking mess right now. I think it was a waste of Henry's time. It was a waste of the fans' time. It was just excitement for nothing. And... I would say that officially the Snyderverse is dead. And I feel like because it's clear that it's a wrap on the Snyderverse, why don't we just fucking scrap the Flash? I don't care how much money went into it. They are such a controversial figure that it's not worth keeping Ezra in the film. We're already re reworking DC. We're already kind of breaking apart this continuing universe that we've we created with the Snyderverse, Batman is in his own league. Like, he's not a part of anything that was going on with Aquaman, Superman, Wonder Woman at all. They didn't have plans to connect them. The Joker is its own thing as well. And so it just makes sense to me. Why are we still going forward with the Flash when the per part of the purpose of this Flash movie was to resolve a lot of the loose ends that were created after the Justice League films and the Snyderverse, you know, came out. I mean, the Snyderverse cut came out. So now the point, what's the point of the Flash now? He's a part of the of a universe that doesn't exist. And when I say he, I mean the Flash character. So I feel like it was a perfect opportunity to just cut the film and, and sever ties. But they're going to go forward with 
this film anyway. And it's sad because The Flash is one of my favorite superhero movies. I was looking forward to this film for a long time. And now I don't even know if I want to go see it. One, because I don't like Ezra Miller. And two, I feel like it's a waste of time because that whole universe and storyline that I was invested in is now finished. It's done. So DC just... I, I don't have any hope for them right now. I think even though I don't really care for James Gunn at all, he, I think, knows what he's doing. But I think so far with some of these choices and decisions they're making, I don't have a lot of faith and trust in DC. So we'll see wherever they end up going with these future films. I will still be locked in for the Batman because I have faith. That's the only DC project I have faith in right now. I don't know about the Joker too. I don't like the decision to make it a musical. I really don't. It's very odd. So I don't know about that one. I know some new photos came out from the film. Um, I think Lady Gaga is extremely talented. She's a talented actress, talented singer, all of that. I just don't agree with making the Joker a musical. That's just me though. So we have come towards the end of the episode, but before I end it, I want to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week is, of course, by SZA, Snooze. One of my favorites from SOS. Again, a really good, solid R&B song. And I just knew going into this episode that a song of the, the song of the week was going to be from that album, and it just had to be Snooze. So again, tell me what you think of the song. Let me know what you think of the album. So we have reached the end of this episode. Thank you for listening to me rant and ramble. I appreciate it as always. A little bit of a shorter episode this week, but don't worry, when I come to wrap up the year, that's going to be a long ass episode. So that'll completely make up for it. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep up with this podcast further, then please head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. There are links to my social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I even have a YouTube page. And if you really enjoyed this episode, then definitely consider giving me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate your podcasts. And if you want to support Listen to Me Speak further, then please consider donating to my listeners' donations. They can be found on my website, which is again, www.listentomespeak.com or on my anchor page. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.